Hey you guys, thanks so much for visiting my channel. I'm a senior regional executive diamond status president with my company and a lot of people- Hey fam, just wanted to come on here and share with y'all this product that I'm absolutely loving. It's the shampoo from my company that you guys hear about all the time. with my base and I've linked this below for $79. I know that sounds like a lot, but guys, it's worth it, trust me. And when I have- Finally, I started selling my powder and I'm a better mom, better spouse. Now I make my own schedule. I've been able to pay all my bills, make some home repairs, finally upgrade my Hulu membership. I'm here to tell you about my company. It's skincare, food care, face care, nutrition, knit care, smoothies. And in the last few weeks, I've been able to lose 10 pounds by not eating real food and just drinking smoothies. It's my company's fitness fix, and it's amazing, and it changes lives. And if you're a gentleman watching this, there's never been a better time for your baby to join. Every social media MLM advertisement kind of goes the same way. It's a woman sitting in front of her phone or computer, and a good portion of that time is carved out for her to share how that product has changed her life. She describes it in buzzy and vague phrases like clean eating and gut health. You don't really know what those mean, but they kind of give a shadow of health and nutrition. Her sentiment goes far deeper than the nutrition powder she is selling and how it's helped her drop a few pounds. The sticking point is always something about how the powder has helped her become the person she was always meant to be, but didn't know how to get there. She calls herself a product of the product, and all that means is she just uses the stuff that she sells. But now she's a better individual. She's more alert. She tells you that she's more mindful. Before the powder, life was boring and routine and dull. But with wide eyes, she tries to convince you that she is thriving, whereas before, she was merely surviving. This is Illegal Tender Season 4. I'm Stephanie Asimkos. All of the metaphors and platitudes about living more mindfully kind of made you forget that she's selling a powder. Independent of company or product, MLM social media posts promote an identical, albeit convoluted message that, as the audience, kind of begs the following. What's happening here? Are you selling a product or are you selling me a lifestyle? And is the key to unlocking that lifestyle using the product or is it selling the product? What MLMs actually sell is a dream, a fantasy, a distraction, an opportunity for a new life. Whatever is missing in your life. It could be money or lack of it. Maybe it's friendship. Maybe you just crave more interaction with adults because you're raising your children. Whatever it is, MLMs will find it and exploit it. And they'll tell women, not that the company's makeup will fix it all, but selling the makeup will fix it all. So the deal with these MLM products is that nothing that they sell can't be found in a Walmart or a Target. But when you buy nutrition powder from a Walmart or Target, 
There's no associated mindset-changing self-help agenda. But when you buy nutrition powder from an MLM distributor, it means you're buying from someone who believes they're qualified to become your life coach and wants you to start selling the same nutrition powder because she wants you to feel as great as she does. There's also money in it for her, but she's not going to tell you that. Let Kayla Imhoff tell you about her experience when she started selling Kayani. That's an MLM that makes nutrition products. She answered a friend's Facebook message, and the rest is history. Finally, she reached out to me, and it was just kind of, you know, hey, how are you doing? Um, I really want to catch up. I want to tell you about this opportunity. Let me take you out to lunch. So we went out to lunch together, and she really um, built up this opportunity, and she explained to me it was a health and wellness company, and she has, uh, or she had been struggling with a few like health ailments, and apparently these products had just like cured her of everything. And she said, you know, I think the product can do the same to you. So I have a few mental health issues, um, and she basically said, like, you know, it can like cure your depression. I I didn't really believe that at the time. She just said, you know, it's it just anything that you're struggling with, like these products help. So she gave me samples of those and I was kind of like, okay, I'll try it. And then she said, you know, actually this is great timing because there's an event that night and you can come and you can meet some of the leaders. I don't even know why I went. To be perfectly honest, I think it was just, I'm really curious now. So basically, they I went there and they um, presented the information. They presented the opportunity. And I'm kind of going like, okay, th- this sounds like something I could do. But basically, they're saying like, you know, you're just sharing the product. And I think someone said something along the lines of, you know, can you do what the person did to bring you here like can you ask your friends out to lunch can you um ask your friends to catch up well yeah you know of course i could do that and they're kind of they're saying well that's all you really have to do you're just sharing the opportunity and you're bringing people to meet the leadership like it sounds so simple and then i'm going okay what's catch I've heard this from a lot of former distributors. They relate it to, you know, well, you would tell your friends, you know, about a restaurant you like or a movie you like. That's basically all you're doing. You're just saying like, hey, I have this opportunity and I really like this and I'm going to share it with people. They make it sound so simple. But then finally we got to, well, how much does this cost? And I was immediately taken aback. The package that they wanted most people to buy was around like $600. I didn't have that money at all. And the only reason I was able to sign up was because one of my uplines basically said he would give me half of the money. And that's how I got started. Tiffany's going to tell you more about how her boss's wife got her into selling for Mary Kay. She kept talking about it. And I have always loved to wear makeup since I was a little girl. So I thought maybe if I sign up for it, at least I would get some decent makeup at at a discounted price. 
Let Jessica share why she joined Color Street. I was actually new to this whole new uh, social media aspect of the MLM uh, businesses. The experiences I had in the past with these types of businesses, it was always home parties. So doing it all online was new to me. And so even though I was reluctant, I decided to go ahead and do my own party. And then partway through the party, we talk about the business and uh, the way it was presented to me was that this was, you know, getting in at the ground level because Color Street was so new. And being that I had never heard of it before, you know, I really thought that it was something that was new and that maybe, maybe I could, you know, have some success with trying to share it with other people since the market wasn't already saturated is what I thought. And so I thought about it, I think it was around 120 or so to get this starter kit. I thought about it for a few days. I actually had to borrow the money from someone to do it, but I decided to go ahead and go for it. And my thinking was not that I was going to ever get rich with this or or really progress far in the company. I never had that goal because I don't want to be a pushy person. And I'm just not... I I guess you could say I would be good at sales, but I don't like forcing people to do something they don't want to do. So it sounds like everything starts out great and there's a lot of excitement. There's this whole world that new distributors are plugged into, and it includes Facebook groups and meetups and mixers and group text threads. But it turns out a lot of it's shallow and superficial. I'll let Jessica share. In the beginning, I spoke with them several times during that first month. And then you're all in this Facebook group together, which I think gives the appearance of them being there for you. But for me, after that initial period, I rarely heard from any of them. Tiffany shares a similar version of that story. And they're also friendly at first, like they want you to believe that this is a, almost a support group, you know, a, a, a pack of women that are going to support you and hold you up. At one of Tiffany's first meetings, she remembers being in a room with 10 to 15 other Mary Kay distributors. She was joined by another newbie, and her experience went something like this. It, it's like they treated us like a mixture between like a Barbie doll where they were just trying to like give us compliments and tell us how nice everything was, you know, your shoes, your purse, your outfits, your hair, your makeup, etc. Um, and then, and then just really a large buildup of what an amazing um, community it is to be a part of Mary Kay. And Kayla echoes the sentiment. Yeah. So um, basically you get launch you have your sponsor there and an upline there that can launch you and what they want you to do is just basically send off a bunch of messages because they're like you're a new distributor you're really excited you know you take that excitement and you just send out as many messages as you can and just like channel that excitement there was no instructions on really what to do So at this point, all three are active distributors, and their three MLMs are still cagey about what's being asked of them. You just heard Kayla say that there was no instruction, 
except to fire off as many messages as she could. If you actually want to learn skills and techniques to better perform your job, well, in the MLM world, that's going to cost you. MLMs sell training seminars and materials to distributors. There are pricey conferences and summits where attendance is basically mandatory, and everything is out of pocket. Your travel, your transportation, your hotels, your food, it's all coming out of your pocket. Let Jessica share more about what really goes down in those training seminars. You're pretty much in a room with a thousand other people with this very successful motivational speaker in front of you telling you that you can defy the odds and you can be that person that makes six figures. I I do think, yeah, a lot of times people really want to believe that about themselves because we have this drive to succeed. So maybe they see those numbers and like you said, they think, well, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm going to be the one that's successful. They didn't know it at the time, but they were being love bombed. That's a phrase to describe what it's like when you meet someone and immediately they're all about you. You're the center of their universe. But then, as quickly as they entered your life, they exit. Their lights stop shining on you. The same thing happens when you join an MLM. The energy, the wild fervor, and a little bit of blind ambition that comes from the top quickly fades. In the MLM world, each distributor is asked to write their warm and cold leads. That's just MLM speak to identify the people in your network and then evaluate how close you are to them. So basically, after you've talked to everyone you know, you're still not at the end of your rope. You just got to get creative. Kayla only had two customers. I'll let her share who those people were. I think my dad did a couple months And then my grandma, she might have done a little bit longer. It it was not like, it it couldn't have been more than six months. But my grandma had to stop after she got an allergic reaction to one of the products. Yeah, it was my mom. It was a few family members. I have a few doctors in the family and they pretty much shut me down. And they were on my warm list. And then... um, I had put basically my two best friends down and I never really approached them about it, but I said that I did. I was just so scared to like message them about this and potentially like ruin my relationship with them. I can sense you're concerned. And Kayla's grandma's okay. So she relayed what happened to her upline and he gave her some crock of nonsense about how her grandma was, quote, detoxing. And then he blamed it on her. He said that she used the product incorrectly, and that's why she had a reaction. And he said, well, her body was just detoxing, like she should have kept with it. It it means basically that, yeah, the the product was just helping to detoxify everybody from their horrible diet. This was another thing that they kind of harped on, you know, like how horrible our diets are, how infected our foods are with pesticides. So when anybody would say, hey, I I don't like these products or or like our products, I'm having a bad reaction, they would say, you know, tell whoever that is to keep going with the product because their body is just detoxifying from all of the crud that, you know, you put in it. Kayla stayed with Kayani, but she couldn't shake the feeling that she was harassing people. 
I just felt like I was I was bugging people. I, I was a little embarrassed because I'm like, this isn't like a real job. This isn't like I don't have my own business. I I wasn't really familiar with network marketing as an industry before I started this. I had known people that had done network marketing and they were just spamming and spamming and spamming everybody. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to jeopardize my, like, my good friendships over this. There were increasing demands on Kayla's time. I think it was either for different Facebook groups or text message or something like there would be, uh, just, you know, there would be advertised a power hour. Come to, you know, the Starbucks and meet with, you know, so-and-so who's really ranked up in the company and you can, um, just work with them or whatever. And well, they'll help you with scripts and sending out messages. So we would, a lot of us would meet up at these Starbucks or coffee shops or whatever for power hours. And these people would be there for like, like eight hours sometimes. And this is what you would do. Like you would go and you would meet up with people and you would just send out message after message after message. And these uplines would be there to help you, you know, walk through conversations. Yeah, that's right. She'd spend eight consecutive hours in a Starbucks, just hammering away Facebook message after Facebook message and just blasting everyone she knew. Until one day, she went a little too far. And I was just going through my... I was... I think at the point I was literally just going alphabetically through my Facebook friends list because I had run out of people to talk to in my warm market. So I messaged this girl and I think I had, she and I weren't really close, but you know, it's just one of those people, one of that you have as a friend from middle school or, you know, well, um, so I messaged her that script and I think there was like a few back and forth here and there kind of um, about the business. She was a little bit curious and then she blocked me. And I turned to my upline who was right there and I was like, she just blocked me. Like, what do I do? And he said, congratulations. She blocked you. That's awesome. That's another person you can cross off your list. Yeah. And it's something that like this bothered me. I think, I mean, pretty much from the start is, you don't, when you're talking to people, you don't consider them like people. They're just like numbers on your list. So, you know, I'm not talking to Jane Smith. I'm talking to number 29. And if number 29 rejects me, then I just put an X and I go to number 30. I could never fully get into that. I'm like, this is a person. I creep them out enough where they felt like they had to block me. I'm not okay with this. Don't forget, at this time, Kayla's still in college. She has a full course load. She has clubs. She has friends. She has family. She has all these relationships to balance. Those eight-hour caffeine-fueled Starbucks spamming marathons started to add up. And she estimated she was putting in over 20 hours a week with Kayani. And she wasn't making a dime. All Kayani cared about was that she wasn't making any money for Kayani. They expect you to be all in. Um, and if you're not, like you're kind of not worth their time because 
you're not, you know, you're not hungry enough for the opportunity. It doesn't mean as much to you. Kayla's really struggling here. She's getting berated for not working hard enough. But then somehow it all gets twisted and turned around back on her. Part of launching your business, you would write down, they called it your why. Why are you doing this business? And so they would say, well, you know, your reason why isn't just strong enough. Um, You know, you don't believe in your reason why enough. But anytime like things didn't go well, it was pretty much your fault. They, they, They wouldn't say it in like those exact words, but the blame was on you. That's when the switch flips. Jessica can relate. But for me, after that initial period, I rarely heard from any of them, maybe once a month or so. But as I started to uh, do poorly, not really sell as much, and it started to look like maybe I was eventually going down the path of no longer being a consultant, it was almost just like the radio went silent. And it felt very much like they weren't even going to try with me because they could see that you know, I was, I was losing it. It would kind of go back and forth. Um, if I was doing something really well, he would be supportive. If I, for example, like didn't show up to a meeting or on a call or something, it would turn into basically like guilt tripping. And also when there would be like a new person in the organization that, you know, one of my other uplines got that he was working with, all the attention would be on them. So it was kind of like, yeah, you would just kind of be forgotten about. Tiffany reflects on that new group of women she met and how quickly that facade cracked. It's so superficial because in the end, uh, none of them were really supportive. (laughs) But as soon as the director realized I was not going to be, you know, 110% into making Mary Kay life my dream, um, she got real nasty with me about just either not being available or not working enough or not placing enough product orders or so it was just really, it was just really unusual. I wasn't prepared for the, for the switch. You know, they're like, you go to these meetings and they, they treat you like you're part of some new family. And then all of a sudden when they realize you're not going to, um, I guess, make their pocketbook grow, then you're no longer worth it to them. I didn't expect them to be so mean, though. It started with little things, Tiffany explains. Well, with the director, it happened pretty quickly because I I did not list that I was a Mary Kay consultant on my voicemail, so that bothered her. And I think I missed a meeting because I did have to work and another time because I was sick, so those were things that bothered her. Conventional wisdom about working in sales is that it's tough, really tough. The best salespeople need to be resilient, honest, empathetic. They need to have superb listening skills. And above everything else, they need to know when it's time to back off. But even with those people, success is never guaranteed. And you need to be prepared for lean times and fat times. The MLM industry thumbs its proverbial nose at all of this and whitewashes the truth about sales. 
But don't take it from me. I've never worked in sales. I'd be terrible at it. Let Tiffany explain it. She used to work in solar energy panel sales and in hospitality. Well, like in a restaurant, for example, um, if you come in and you order a glass of wine and, uh, and a meal and your glass of wine is nearly empty, as a server, it's considered suggestive selling to ask the customer if they'd like to have another glass of wine before their glass is empty. And they say yes or no. But it's a different scenario because people come into restaurants to eat and drink. (laughs) So you're not attacking, you know, random strangers in the Whole Foods parking lot asking them to buy a lipstick. Um, So that's a pretty normal thing. And it's not predatory because you're simply offering something. It's not a forced situation. They say yes or no. Perfect. Um, I would say to cross it with something like Mary Kay, um, you're in a situation where perhaps you throw a party for people. And I can't imagine, I, I have to just guess that there must be all types of people that have agreed to come. There's probably plenty of people who uh, don't have any money um, to purchase anything. But you still kind of hound them like, well, if you purchase, you know, these three products, it'll be on a discount and you'll get a free lip gloss or something like this. And it's the, the verbiage that you use is just much more aggressive. And now you're you're definitely selling something that people don't need. And then in some cases, maybe they've been talked into something they don't want to be a part of. Let's talk more about sales and recruiting, because We know that that's actually what goes down in an MLM. I'll let Bill Keep tell you more about it. He's a business professor turned interim provost and vice president for academic affairs at the College of New Jersey. Bill has studied pyramid schemes for almost three decades. I've been a marketing professor for almost 30 years now, and I can tell you for sure, every year, recruiters who come to college campuses cannot get enough students who want to go into sales. But sales requires a certain amount of comfort with uncertainty, the ability to take rejection often, uh, and the confidence enough to take that rejection, set back up and go knock on the next door or make the next call. So sales is perceived by, for example, college students as being something I don't know if I really want to do and I'm not really sure if I'd be very good at it. So it's almost the exact opposite message, as you just indicated, in terms of the multi-level marketing strategy. The multi-level marketing strategy is, this is easy. Um, This isn't really selling. This is going to friends and and, and, um, family members and college friends and others and, and showing them an opportunity. So when things go poorly, and we know why they go poorly, it's because these products are expensive. The markets are saturated because you're definitely not the only Arbonne or Mary Kay distributor in your area. Your best friend or your aunt bought from you as a one-time courtesy, and they're not interested in becoming repeat customers. So what happens when you run out of people? Who else do you sell to? Well, turns out Jessica's options were pretty limited. There's no such thing as unlimited potential because there's a limited amount of people to pitch to. And there's also clearly drawn territory lines.
I was a stay-at-home mom at the time. My former workplace was already locked down by my former supervisor that started selling. So I couldn't really go there. I wasn't involved in any, you know, after-school sports with my kids. I didn't really have a huge network to begin with. And I wasn't about to start going out and cold calling strangers or just being that weirdo that talks to somebody at Target. So it was also really hard for me to expand that way, too. How many other... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, with your training materials that you get, there is a notebook that's supposed to help you keep track of your progress. They have lists for you to make where it lists off, I think, school, uh, you know, your place of worship, if you go, um, maybe any activities you're involved in. So it lists these different things, and you're supposed to start writing down all these people you know in these different places so that you can reach out to them. And I found that so weird. I never did it because I just felt so gross with even the idea of doing that. Here's when the hammer drops. From the top, there's guilt and shame and ridicule. It might be direct or indirect. Or it might be in a public forum. I'll let Jessica explain. They will celebrate you. They will use all kinds of emojis and just all of this praise on Facebook that you're a rock star and you met your goal and you're going to get free product from the company. So you feel like a winner. So you just keep going and keep trying and doing the same thing over and over. Yeah, absolutely. You feel like a failure. And at this point in time, I had quit my full-time job. I had quit due to health reasons. This was before I had started homeschooling my kids. So I was just at home alone. You know, I was kind of lonely. I wanted to feel like I was doing something during the day. I wanted to feel like I was being productive and contributing to my household. And I hate failure. And when you're sitting back and you're seeing these other people get praised and you're not, you just start to think, you know, why am I bad at this? Why am I failing? And so you absolutely will start to look at it like, well, okay, maybe I can just buy some more of this product. I'll meet those goals. I'll get the praise and then I'll feel like I'm doing something. And then Of course, you just think, you know, maybe I can actually sell this product and make the money back at some point. But that's unsustainable. You know, you can only fit so much product in your before you have to start selling some of it. You feel like you're doing something wrong. Your upline told you it was going to be so easy. Your upline told you that you had something that everyone was going to want. If it's working for everyone else, why isn't it working for you? I'll let Bill explain that perception isn't reality. And that leaderboard, it might be fake after all. The interesting thing about that story is she has no way to verify that the names that were mentioned actually were successful. None whatsoever. They could have just been sitting there making those names up. And in fact, I believe that that does happen. Um, I don't have enough evidence because this is a... uh, particularly opaque kind of industry and business model. Um, But when you can lie to people and it works, maybe you will use it, particularly if you believe in social Darwinism. 
So the way this works is that distributors get bonuses based on their sales. They also get product discounts. The products are already marked up, but maybe that's me being too nitpicky. So they're encouraged to buy, 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 and share, share, share how the products are working for them. But that kind of creates this weird dystopian incentive for distributors to buy from themselves. They essentially become their own best customers. There's also a lot of hidden costs beyond that starter kit. It was my, my upline, you know, signed me up, but then it was, I actually did a phone call with her director and she explained to me that, um, for example, something like foundation, um, we all have different skin tones. So if you don't carry more than a certain set of skin tones, then you don't have product on hand to sell to somebody who needs product or wants product. And I mean, it's, it's a good tactic. It made sense to me. I thought, okay, I'm, I'm white. <laughs> I know what color I wear. And I have a, you know, I live in California. There's everyone is here. Um, <laughs> so it made sense to me that I would need a variety of different colors to offer to other women if they wanted them. Um, so I, I kind of went along with it. I don't remember the the various packages that Mary Kay offers when you start up. Um, but I think I did buy one of the most expensive ones. So I don't really have, (laughs) I can't really explain why I did that, but it made sense to me at the time. And the hidden costs don't stop at keeping just extra product on hand. Cost was like $9.95 or somewhere around $10 a month just to have this website, which without it, people can't make online orders, which is, pretty much essential in any sort of business these days. So it's really not optional. You pretty much need to have it. And then even if you're not buying product, you're a lot of times encouraged to buy, you know, uh, tablecloths with color street on it so that you can advertise when you go out to these vendor events, which usually cost anywhere from 25 to maybe even $100 to be part of these vendor events. And then you've got the catalogs if you choose to buy them. I can't remember exactly how much a pack of catalogs cost, maybe somewhere around $10 or so. But you only get about 20 catalogs in there. So if you're someone that uses them a lot, you're going to start racking up the cost very easily. Then if you go do in-home parties, you've got the gas to go out there. And if you do anything in your own home, then, of course, you've got the money you spend on the little snacks and sandwiches and the wine and the cheese and and all of that that you pay for that, too. So you're easily spending one to three hundred or more dollars a month just on all of these extra things in addition to the product that you might be buying. MLMs preach, quote, fake it till you make it. And sometimes that rhetoric is taken too far. You know, when you look at the numbers, you're spending all of this time, you know, out there hustling if you really want to be successful with meeting these goals, but you're you're barely getting anything back for all of that work. And then when you factor in gas money and the money you spend on uh, advertising and just your time, it's you definitely are in the negative at that point, but that's not what the company will portray to you. 
as far as what profit I actually made on that, I don't know. I never really kept track if, if I ever made any profit because right. once I started getting real deep into it, it was just kind of a whirlwind. Yeah. And I don't think I ever really wanted to know if I ever made a profit. I do remember um, the one time I actually had a meeting with uh, the person that recruited me and other members of the upline. I remember it coming up in the conversation of how long it took them before they were actually um, making any profit. And I believe they were saying it wasn't for about three or four months in that they had been selling, but they also had recruited people too. So that's a little bit deceptive also. So no, it's not realistic when you look at it. And I met, I think, one of these goals because, like I said, I spent, and I didn't even spend my own money. I I opened a credit card and put it, like a three or four hundred dollar order on this credit card behind my husband's back to do this because at this point I was so afraid of failing that I decided to put my own money into it and still I was at the beginning thinking oh, well I'll make this money back. In our third and final episode. Getting out of these MLMs proves to be easier said than done. So there is this basic bait and switch con. That is to get you in, they will tell you whatever. That's the bait. And then when you get in comes the switch, which is more work than you expected, more money than you imagined that you would spend, and increasing demands being made on your time. This is not what you really thought it was in the beginning, but that's what it becomes once you become immersed in the MLM. Illegal Tender is made by Yahoo Finance at our studios in New York City. This episode was written and hosted by me, Stephanie Simkos. Illegal Tender was created, edited, and produced by Alex Sugg. Thank you to Robert Fitzpatrick, Doug Brooks, Bill Keep, and Rick Ross for sharing your knowledge. And thank you to Kayla Imhoff, Tiffany St. Lawrence, and Jessica for putting it all out on the line and sharing your stories. If you enjoyed this podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review for the show. Until next time, thank you for listening to Illegal Tender.